to support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey, everyone. Here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal? Investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to PositiveSarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. Yeah, I can't park my car, get my bags, and put on some weight, will you? Hey, Wang, what's with the pictures? It's a parking lot. Come on, will you? I think this place is restricted, Wang, so don't tell me you're Jewish. Okay, fine. Hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. Oh, I can maybe have a half of those, those Vulcan D10s and set my friend up here with the whole schmear. You know, clubs, bags, shoes, gloves, shirt, pants. Hey, orange balls. I'll have a box of those. Give me a box of those naked lady tees and give me two of those. Give me six of those. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com. I'm to hear from the Spare Parts Studio. Happy Monday. Monday. Oh, no. It's happening stupidest said in happy sunday everybody it's sunday leftovers you can find me on instagram find me on tiktok and you can find me on facebook yeah can you still find me you can still find tiktok apparently it's not uh the word is right now that you can't find you're not able to download it right now however there was a message from tiktok this morning saying that uh they are here for the long term i don't know what that means they're apparently working with a u.s partner so i think they're i think what this is is like it's going to be like a uh, you know, one of those last minute things, the 11th hour, and then eventually it, they will come to terms. And it, that's pretty much it. It's that's that's how things work now. Everything is the 11th hour, massive anxiety, and then poof, magically everything comes together. You know, who which side is going to flex or uh, flinch first before, you know, everything is signed and whatever. So that's it. So for I guess for now, for me, I mean, hey, for me, for you, for everybody, if you're on TikTok and you want to find me there, you can find me at Positive uh, Sarcasm. You can also check out my website, PositiveSarcasm.com. Check out my posing music and everything like that. And yeah, find my YouTube channel. Check out my uh, wedding vlogs. Check out my concept vlogs. Check out my travel vlogs. Check shit. Check it all out. YouTube, uh, Positive Sarcasm and Positive Sarcasm Podcast for all the clips. 
I do want to start and make a regular um, habit of doing this every Sunday, reading uh, poetry. For because I mean, obviously, we got to understand uh, black culture nowadays, so it's important to go through their uh, lyrics and see. Um, I don't know, just I guess why not uh, go through some lyrics every time and read it poet poetically and just go through it and see. Uh, just read a verse, you know, like you would. You go like some people they read the Bible and some people uh, read, you know, novels or, or or science fiction or science or whatever, or they watch Cosmos on Netflix with uh, the very handsome Neil deGrasse Tyson. I would like to uh, just take a few, if only a few seconds, and do some uh, verses, some poetry from uh, one of the leading um, uh, leading hip-hop and R&B artists. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's just get this, get this done. <laughs> get this done. How dare I? This shouldn't just be, this is important, this is important stuff. This is very important stuff. This is very high-level lyrics that we're looking at here. So I should definitely take my time and gently go through each piece. So, all right. Here we go. You're mad. I'm back. Big mad. He's mad. She's mad. Big sad. Ha ha. Don't care. Stay mad. Aha. Aha, aha, ha ha, bitch, I'm laughing cause you big mad. See it in your face, cry baby, bitch, you big sad. Niggas be tweeting about me, got me trending, bitch, you big sad. Tell me how I ratted, came home to a big bag. Big bag meaning I'm I'm assuming that means money, so he's obviously doing well financially, which is good. We definitely want him to be doing good, and uh, thank you, uh, Takashi Six Nine, for the poetic lyrics, and we uh, wish you well on your future endeavors. Um, and has, for the record, an excellent set of teeth. So, that being said, let me go ahead and take off these things. <clears throat> if you want to know more about Takashi69, I guess you can go ahead and check him out on his YouTube channel and his Instagram. Uh, probably at Takashi69, I assume it. Anyways, this is Sunday Leftover, so I will keep it short. As you know, there have been a lot, a lot, and a lot of businesses that have been closing up shop, whether it be temporarily or permanently across the United States, if not all over the world. Uh, we've had a, approximately, I think, two to three hundred restaurants or retail businesses that have closed up shop permanently here in my great state due to uh, the economy that was, uh, you know, in hand with the pandemic. And that's sad because, I've, as I've said before in this podcast, that uh, those are people's dreams going up in smoke, some people's livelihoods. And uh, however, I do not have in front of me a list of the 200 or so restaurants in New Hampshire that closed up shop. Instead, I have 26 notable New York City restaurants that have closed up shop because even as the numbers so uh, apparently have, and there's more information and protocols and safety measures have gone down in the past six to eight months, still 
New York restaurants have yet to open indoor dining services until mid to late September, and when they do, it'll only be at a 15 to 25% capacity, at the very most. So at this point, a lot of the restaurants, and restaurants, it's important. You need to have, in order to have a successful restaurant, you need income every single month. And margin for error for a restaurant is minimal. There's a very thin line between what you buy and what, how you profit. And a lot of these restaurants, if they closed up shop for even a month or two, a vast majority of them would go under. Because a lot of them open up shop with, with very small loans and very little actual cash flow. So as soon as that cash stops flowing for even a week, they're in a lot of trouble. A lot of them probably applied for protection loans, didn't get them. A lot of them probably applied for some type of financial loans or extensions, didn't get them. So I'm sure there's more. I know Little Frankie's in New York City and Supper NYC and Frank Restaurant are all open right now. But th sadly, 26 restaurants in New York City, these notable ones, have permanently closed. So I want to do in memoriam, I guess, and talk about some of the restaurants in New York City that just really didn't get a chance to, you know, say goodbye or say thank you, whatever, maybe via a Facebook page. But for the most part, these were restaurants that ran, they were ran by people, people with dreams, people with ambitions, want to try something different. What better, what better place than New York City? A place that knew very well how to cram in rest, uh, a, a crazy amount of people into a very small space. That was what it was great for. It was a lot of community in a small spot like that but due to rising crime very much rising crime uh restrictions on indoor dining and just overall mandates and all kinds of other silliness that new york city is now enduring these restaurants no longer exist super sad super super sad and this isn't we're not talking olive garden and fucking burger king we're talking about actual restaurants independently owned that are now no longer in service so all kinds of restaurants all kinds of cultures all kinds of different types of food well that you don't get to sample anymore that you don't get to try so let's see new yorkers restaurants and bars have never faced a more challenging time in the past six oh by the way i should give a shout out to timeout.com uh this was written by bao ong or ong excuse me ong uh as city and state officials work to contain a possible second wave of the current crisis, businesses have been able to slowly open, but many have not been able to weather the financial impact and have closed forever. Indoor dining is set to make a return across the five boroughs come September 30th, so still two weeks from now. But many establishments are still taking a wait-and-see approach before they can, safe they can open safely. Since the lockdown began in mid-March, the number of new takeout and delivery options keep growing. Some new restaurants have opened, and it appears outdoor dining may still remain an option until it gets too cold. If you've ever been in a New York City winter, it's freezing. And as far as out being outside, it's impossible. And also with the amount of trash that's piling up right now due to budget cuts, it makes outdoor dining uh, very, very difficult because you have protests, you have trash, you have traffic, if there, which I assume there still would be, and then you have crime. So how the hell are you going to sit inside? Indoor dining, da, 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 da. okay. Still, many New Yorkers didn't have a chance to give a final farewell to the following establishments below. Some of you who obviously lived or have spent time in New York, which I have, had, know of some of these restaurants, actually. And I would like to start off with Bar Sardine. A burger place at Gabrielle Stullman's Gastro Pub, an intimate 28-seat corner spot in the West Village. West Village has some of the best food that I've actually encountered. But I've, I've, been, I've been to plenty of places in New York City. 
Yes, it is expensive, but the food was good. It was a place that felt like it catered to locals and as much diners there are on a first date. Mm. So it's just a it was a little burger gastro pub and it just it just looks great. Next one up is uh Taladwat. Dining at Taladwat was akin to attending a potluck, but much better because you're sharing dishes span the southern, central, and western regions of Thailand. Chef David Bank doled out rich, spicy curries and hearty pork dishes that you don't find from your local takeout joint. Let's read more about this. Let's see. I want to, I'm curious about this one. Were there any further details? It was on 714 9th Street in New York City, near the 50th Street subway and 7th Avenue. Let's see. And right now, this may not be completely accurate, but they're, from what they understand, a lot of these restaurants have closed permanently. Restaurant Thai Hell's Kitchen. That's exactly where it is. Okay. Next up is Westbourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. Oh, that's a delicious, looks like a, some type of Reuben. The Mush Reuben, a vegetarian spin on the diner classic that has dreaming of roasted mataki mushrooms with sauerkraut, pepperdue peppers, melted Swiss cheese, and a special, special sauce between toasted caraway rye bread. A Reuben is one of my favorite sandwiches. I don't know what a vegetarian sample uh, uh, flavoring would be like, but I would give it a shot. Melted Swiss cheese, it wouldn't be my constant go-to, but I do love every, every, different types of Reuben. I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of sauerkraut, so... Uh, melted Swiss cheese, special sauce between toasted caraway rye bread, one of our favorite dishes in 2019. Other plates at Camila Marcus's Soho restaurant brought a cool desert West Coast vibe to New York. We'll miss. Good Stuff Diner. Everyone loves the diner. The neighborhood favorite in Chelsea on 6th Avenue was one of the rare restaurants open 24-7. And an example of yet another dying breed of business. No frills New York City diner with quick, comfortable, and warm, if no-nonsense, service. See me, New York City. The word see me means gossip in Tagalog. At the Lower East Side restaurant, the same name, where illustrations on the door and venue says we are back. Oh, good news. This one, the venue says we are back open for pickup delivery and outdoor seating during our time apart. We have worked hard to fully ensure your safety. So congratulations to see They are still open. Mermaid Ed, on the other hand, the Mer original East Village location was a favorite for happy hour, whether you wanted oysters, lobster rolls, or even a Bloody Mary during the week. Luckily, there are three other locations in the city, Greenwich Village, Chelsea, and the Upper West Side. So the East Village location has closed, but there are three other locations, according to this recent article, that are still open. That's the Mermaid Inn. Fat Radish. This Fat Radish, the Fat Radish may have had a reputation for being a hangout for the fashion set, but it was a destination worthy for its food. From burgers to seasonal salads, there was a bit of everything here for everyone. Uncle Boone's. Ever since opening in 2013, diners packed into Ann Redding and Matt Danzer's Nolita restaurant, Uncle's Boons. The chef set a stage, one filled with vintage posters and some tiki bar touches that showcased the modern Thai dishes without watering them down. New Yorkers ate it up, and they loved the complex and often fiery dishes served as they, if in a laid-back, fun environment. Now Redding and Danzer have decided to close the restaurant permanently after not reaching an agreement with their landlord. Most restaurants in New York City... A vast majority of them don't have don't own their buildings. There are maybe one or two or three restaurants that actually own the building that they occupy. The restaurant they can't reach agreement with their lease, and, and the, or the leases get too high and they leave. 
So, I mean, right now with real estate in New York City, I don't know if even owning the, the building that you occupy is even worth it right now. But at least owning it allows you to stay longer. Uh, if you were to lease, it'd be a massive, massive price to pay. But they were unable to reach an agreement with their landlord. Now they got to close. The Tack Room. Thomas Keller, one of America's most decorated chefs, has permanently closed his fine dining restaurant in Hudson Yards. It was Chef's first New York City restaurant opening in 15 years when he opened the Throwback Restaurant in March 2019. Let's McCon. Their Instagram is Let's Make in New York City. Let's M-A-K-A-N-N-Y-C. One of the few Malaysian restaurants in New York, Let's, Ma- Let's Macon or Macan, served a delightful menu of dishes. Many you'd find street vendors serving in Chef Michelle Lamb's homeland, such as various noodle soups and colorful desserts. That looks good. I do love like South, you know, Southern Asia uh, types of d- food. I just I love the soup and the hot, you know, scraps of food that they make into just amazing flavor profiles. There's something about scrap or depression style cooking that really makes me interested. I don't care really what you put in it. Porcena. Uh, just a quick blurb on Porcena, the neighborhood favorite in East Village, known for its comforting Italian fare by Chef Sarah Jenkins. That's pretty much all I said about Porcena. Anchoy. Anchoy, the Lower East Side Vietnamese restaurant. Vietnamese is one of my favorites, like I said. Uh, one of the early leaders in showcasing the Southeast Asia's country's cuisine with a modern twist. The owners still have their popular restaurant, D&D, in Greenpoint, but they closed down this one. Augustine. Ooh, that looks expensive. Keith McNally's formula for a hit French French brasserie didn't survive the tough conditions. Between a health crisis that left downtown Manhattan like a ghost town and a beautiful restaurant that never quite gained momentum like its other spots in town. Gem Spa. An East Village fixture for nearly 100 years. Gem Spa was known for much more than serving egg creams as its punk roots. The shop was already struggling to survive, but the last few months were just too tough. See, for example, there were some restaurants that were really just struggling to hold on, and they were only it was only a matter of time before they were on their way out. But at this point, uh, this thing definitely did them in. But a lot of them didn't deserve to go under. Obviously, some restaurant, like any business, if it's not doing well, it should close. That's the end of it. Try again. That's the American dream. You try, you fail, you try something new. But some of these places, they, it's really sad to see them go under. Let's keep going. Nishi. Nishi David Chang closed Nishi, a restaurant that was often overlooked in Chef's Mumufoku Empire. But it was a sleeper hit of sorts. Despite uneven reviews at first for many of its innovative take on Italian cuisines, the celebrity chef is also moving his beloved sandbar from the East Village to take place in Bar Weo, which opened last year in the South Street Seaport elsewhere. A D.C. Mumufuku location is also shuttered. Bummer. Let's see. Pegu Club. As one of the best bars in New York, Pegu Club was also one of the seminal bars of the craft cocktail mo- movement. Countless bartenders worked here that went on to open their own spots that New Yorkers have come to love. Bayou Glue, or Bayou Glue. One of the few bright spots of the Upper East Side dining scene, Bayou Glue offered reliable and affordable Turkish food, yum, that was perfect for a group of friends to share a meal. I love Turkish food. My problem with Turkish food is generally when you find a place, it's generally small. The portions are too small and too expensive. When you order a kebab, you want a big, long stick of meat and you end up with like a toothpick of small hamburg and it's often very disappointing make good coffee though lucky strike 
Before there was a Balthazar and Pastigue, Keith McNally's Lucky Strike was also a beloved Soho restaurant since its opening in 1989. While the neighborhood has been stripped of its artistic bohemian vibe and often replaced with luxury stores through the years, this was one spot that made you feel like it found one kind of treasure. The Avery. The Alani... The Alanese group high-end cocktail dens, the Avery New York City, and the office, a more speakeasy concept inside the Mandarin Hotel, were reportedly already slated to close in April, but the pandemic pushed the opening head date ahead. We marveled at the mad scientist-level concoctions here, even if the pricey cocktails meant it wasn't an everyday spot. The Green Gape Annex, a coffee shop designed by the MP Shift team, popular for neighborhood regulars and people hanging out in Fort Greene alike. This corner spot was idyllic for hanging out and striking up conversations for strangers. In other words, it felt like a community space. Gotham Bar and Grill. For 36 years, Gotham Bar and Grill helped set the standard for fine dining in the city. It consistently garnered rave reviews, but it was perhaps a confluence of factors. The trend toward more casual dining and a shift in ownership in the current crisis that leads to the restaurant's demise. Uh, we already mentioned Takashi. Jewel Baco is, ooh. Jewel Baco, the East Village, boasted a destination sushi restaurant long before expensive omakase fasting menu, tasting menus became the norm along the city's top Japanese restaurants. Jewel Baco offered pristine seafood with a stellar sake selection. 701 West. Chef John Frazier inside the glitzy edition Times Square Hotel was no more after the Marriott Corporation announced its closing after a barely year in operation. It was one of the few destination restaurants in a neighborhood with limited choices, at least non-chain business, and despite its fine dining atmosphere, the menu was gently priced. Very gently priced, as actually this day. Toro. Toro, this sprawling tapas restaurant, garnered lots of attention when it first opened from its respected Boston chefs to its hip downtown location on the border of the meatpacking district, serving a district modern spin in Spanish cuisine. Daddy-o. This neighborhood bar is an anomaly in an area where businesses are often designed to me the latest hip downtown restaurants. Sure, Daddy-o was offered fine cocktail menu and some great whiskeys, but the overall vibe was casual and welcomed anyone. And finally, this one you've, you've all heard of. The, Coco, the Copa Cabana. Copa Cabana, this iconic nightclub, was the it place to be during its heyday, but several incarnations later, the Times Square location was its latest spot and perhaps last. It may reopen elsewhere in the future. So here's the thing that, and the argument that's been made. When something dies, something else rises in its place. Right now, New York City is dying. It's dying for several reasons. It's dying not because of a virus that came from uh, a, a lab in Wuhan. It's dying because of the fact that it has a culture shift. Its prices are too high. The amount of chain restaurants and high-end corporate retail uh, store lines and stuff like that have priced, have made leasing in New York City so expensive that your low-end entrepreneur or small business owner can't get in. So they are already riding on thin ice to the point where if anything like, say, a global pandemic were to step in and you have an incompetent fucking mayor and governor, basically what happens is you're, you have no shot. You have to close immediately. Now, here's the thing. Let me get to, the, let me get to what happens after the universe dies. Say, let's see, this This obviously ends. This ends at some point. Prices have already dropped significantly. Crime eventually 
evens out to some extent. And there's actually a window of opportunity. If prices in leasing and stuff like that have been become so low, uh, right now these restaurants were still opening with pricing sky high. Well, since they've cut in half from what I understand, maybe it'll come to a point where a lot of new places open up. And since a lot of these high-end retail places and these Olive Garden-type restaurants have, for the most part, packed up and left, well, because they can easily close up shop, not a care in the world, and move elsewhere. Or just, they're already, you know, shrinking in size anyways. So, for all these places that are empty and landlords needing money, to drive in new business, they have to lower their prices. They have no choice. New Yorkers are fleeing to Texas, Florida, and New England. So for all those empty apartments and all those empty retail and restaurant spaces, they have to fill them up. So it would give New York City a chance. Once this thing calms down a bit, if it ever does, they have to get rid of their mayor first. If they do that and the crime calms down somewhat and put in what will happen is somebody else will have a dream. They won't be able to open in other places. Maybe they won't be able to open in Boston. Maybe they won't be able to open in L.A. Why would you want to? But maybe they'll have a chance to move into New York City when people start going out again and there's enough foot traffic where you can open up a little coffee shop or a little restaurant or a little boutique or a little sis or a little that. So it'll be cheap enough for them to take a chance, open something up, and become the pride of the neighborhood. The problem is there's two ways this can go. New York City can become a shithole. There can, be, there can be no foot traffic. There's too much crime. There's no actual businesses there. Everybody's left and working remotely. Therefore, there's not enough people to fill up these restaurants. And it goes the way of Detroit. So that's a possibility. So could New York die or be some type of ghost town? It's a strong possibility. Now... There's a good example of what happens to the town that I currently live in and that I broadcast out of. If my town were to follow this route, which it is, because a lot of people, even though a lot of people are moving here and buying up all the houses, if this town wasn't uh, smart, it could end up a lot like Worcester, Mass. Worcester, Mass is expensive to live in. There's no real restaurants. There's no light nightlife. It's an absolute ghost town. They have no airport either. Nobody wants to travel out of there. It's an hour away from Boston, so it's pointless to live there. There's nothing going on there. And this town, the town that I live in, could easily spin out of control. And people are leaving. That's the thing. People are leaving my town in vast quantities. They say, okay, since interest rates are super low, we can sell the house get a new house with a very low interest rate and we can put this put our house up for sale or we can lease it out to new tenants and make income that way until such time where we decide to sell the place either way you have it but right now it's giving people an opportunity to just get out get out of cities since you can work remotely now a lot of people can work remotely and go live in the countryside or by the seacoast or out by the lakes or in the woods or wherever they prefer there's a lot more options now. These options should have been available 10 years ago, but they're here now. And, I mean, there is the thing about 
there is something about the city. I'm not going to knock cities in general. Cities are beautiful for one thing. You have access. You should have access to everything. You have access to shopping. You don't need a car. You can walk. You have public transportation. There's several different options for restaurants, for retail, for opportunity. And you can do it on a minimal income. You don't need a car. You don't need a big space. You just need a spot to rest your head, and then you can go explore. That's what cities are about. When you move to the country, it's all about having everything in your own space, on your own acreage. You don't need to go to the ocean or go to the lake when you have a pool. You buy your food. You cook it there. You don't go out to eat. You eat there. You entertain there. You live. You thrive. You habitate there. That's the thing. I'm at the point where I stopped going. I mean, obviously, money-wise, I don't need to go out. I don't care about it at all. Unless I'm sitting outside and just enjoying my time without being bothered by whatever's going on in the world, the problem is you can see it too much. When you go out to eat, you like to people watch, but you don't want to be nervous around the people that are going by you. And in this town, there's no reason for that. It's completely pointless. That's why I'm leaving. But for a city... You should. It's inconvenient for somebody who wants to go in and have access to everything. And if a city uh, in the near future can offer that, I would totally recommend living in a city because it allows you to learn how to pick up your pace. That's what's important about cities. It allows you to change your uh, time allocation because when you live in the country, you slow down. You get up. You get up maybe a little bit later if you aren't necessarily getting up to chop wood or do all kinds of country country like habits people like me are yuppies we get up in the morning we make coffee and we sit out and we watch the sunrise but you know we can afford to do that but you do if if you go from the country and you want to pick up the pace of your life and learn how to allocate everything within 1 hour and 20 minute increments you go when you live in the city you you move with the traffic you move with the footsteps you move with the, the traffic lights and you learn how to live in a faster lifestyle and you learn how to get everything done much sooner. And then you appreciate how much time you actually have left so that when you get to the country, you're like you have so much time in your hands. So it's, it's believe me, there's a huge shift. It's like when I drive to, when I drive through New York city or New Jersey and then I get to like Pennsylvania or Virginia, it's like, wow, the amount of the, the speed difference is dramatic. Like you're in Pennsylvania, people are driving like, five miles under the speed limit you get to the jersey turnpike people are doing 15 over the speed limit so it's something to keep in mind but for me i mean i i always keep pace i make good track of time i make good use of my time i've done that now it's from time for me to enjoy the fruits of my labor by the ocean but it's sad to see a lot of these great restaurants all these great new ideas different cultures of food just kind of having to close up shop but I'm hoping to see once these cities recover, if hopefully they do, uh, what's going to take their place and hopefully something worth its weight because you don't want a beautiful little boutique restaurant with delicious food being replaced by a fucking McDonald's. You know, that would be the ultimate depressing. You don't want it replaced with a McDonald's and you don't want it replaced by a Whole Foods. We are at 29 minutes. I'm going to close up shop for today. Uh, little, I am a little mentally slow today. But um, I did want to just give a shout out to the 26 notable New York City restaurants that are closing according to timeout.com on a, on a nice relaxing Sunday leftovers. 
if you have a if you have a comment about which um, hip hop poetry I should read next week, you can email me positive sarcasm at outlook.com or I'll just pick it myself. But until then, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, uh, PodBay, CastBox, wherever podcasts are available. You can subscribe, like, share, listen, download, stream. Also, my website, PositiveSarcasm.com. You can listen and download it there. Leave a like. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, I did want to mention uh, – actually, I'll talk about that next week on, on Wednesday's Positive Sarcasm podcast. So in the meantime, you can email me directly, positivesarcasm.com, or you can subscribe and share and donate through my website. Just go to the contact page at positivesarcasm.com. If you have questions or concerns or comments about posing music, email me through there. Movie reviews, uh, all my videos, my YouTube blogs, that's all up there too. But yeah, if you want to just hit me up, you can hit me up through my websites, through my social media, or through my email. But until then, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing, and I will talk to you all on Wednesday. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. This has been a positive sarcasm presentation. Try it. Do it. Try it. Do it. Try it. Do it. Listen to the sound of a new tomorrow.
positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.